I need prayer if I'm going to do this on a Wednesday night. It's been a while. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you tonight for your overwhelming love. And Lord, through whatever we learn tonight through the Word, may it reveal your love for us, how important we are to you. We learn Sunday how vast this universe is that you have placed us in. And yet out of the vastness of this universe, you know each one of us personally. You know our thoughts. You know our dreams. You know our hurts, our pains. The Word of God says that every tear we've ever shed, you have stored up. And you will make recompense for us for that. You will comfort us for those tears. And so, Father, we're here tonight to, to spend this time with a God of the universe that loves us so much. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, who's our teacher. We thank you for the Word of God tonight, and we ask the Holy Spirit to take the Word that you put in my heart and the meditations of my heart, Lord, and anoint your Word as you always do, that we may have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp and hear what the Spirit is saying us tonight here at Faith Christian Center. Amen. amen. And amen. As I was preparing this... Um, an, uh, an old, an old mer- nursery rhyme came to me, uh, and I kind of looked it up. It's an old English nursery rhyme, and it goes, Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? All right. Then it goes on to say how her garden grows. And I did a little research on where that comes from. They don't all agree on where it comes from. But the point is this. The question is, and you can put the, 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 the image up. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. How does your garden grow? Well, I grew up in a family. My mother was a, was a, a, she was a horticulturist. A horticulturist is somebody who knows the Latin names for the flowers. And she knew everything about it. She could grow anything, any place. I did not inherit that tendency. My mother had a green thumb. I have a black thumb. I can kill any plant. <laughs> I've actually gotten better at that. And I think part of that was uh, she, she could grow anything, anywhere. Her gardens were immaculate. They were beautiful. But I learned something from growing up with her. That did not happen by accident. Gardens don't just grow like that and become beautiful uh, just by accident. Somebody plans them. Somebody plants them. And they don't, they're not maintained by accident. Somebody has to know how to weed them. That was, I hated that job. Maybe that was the attitude I had toward God. I hated weeding. To me, it was keeping me from what I wanted to do. It was boring. And they come back again. I mean, why pull something else that's going to come back again? Is there there's some way these lights can be adjusted? They're in these guys' eyes right up here. It's not the glory of God coming from me. It's these lights up here. So, uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so, so, but, so, my point is this. Beautiful gardens don't just grow on their own. They grow because somebody like my mother understands certain principles and she understands what she had to do as the gardener and what the, 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 the nature had to do, as she put it. So we're going to take a, take a look at that. So the question is, you know, what do gardens and, and, and nursery rhymes have, have to do with us? Well, let's start in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And I, this, part of this came from actually what I was teaching the last time I taught earlier this year, but from a series I've been listening to by somebody else. And he's talking about gardening your heart. But there was something I heard out of that that really went off in me. And when I find Philippians, we can do that. There we go. 
No, that's Philemon. It begins with the right four letters. Philippians. Maybe that's why I haven't been doing Wednesday nights. These are interesting verses. I want you to listen to these verses and not just say, well, okay, these are Bible verses. Listen to these as if they're actually true. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with joy for your fellowship or sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. And this is what I want you to see. This is the Bible. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. I'm confident of this very thing. This is Paul writing to a church in Philippi in, in northern Greece, which is uh, Macedonia. Uh, this very thing that he, obviously that's God, who has begun, that implies there's more work to do. He has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So with our gardening analogy, it's like saying the gardener who began to grow a beautiful garden will complete the work that's got to be done in that garden until it bears its full fruit. There's another version of this a little bit. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 12. Think about as as if these were really true for you. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and you have always obeyed, haven't you? Okay. Not as in my presence only, but how much now more in my absence, that you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'll explain that in a minute. Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. It's God in you who began the work, and will work it through and complete it until the day of Christ. Now, ask yourself, how many people do you know, including yourself, who are striving so hard to make sure you get there? Working so hard with yourself to make sure you improve and you grow. This was the other, I almost did another message, which was on entering into His rest. Rest from our striving to measure up. And, and, and we try so hard to measure up to what we think God expects of us, what we expect of ourselves, or maybe what other people we think are expecting of us, or maybe we know what they're expecting of us. We're trying to live up to some expectation, and we get worn out trying to do that, and we never quite seem to get there. And if you get close and think you get there, the next day you slide right back and it seems like you've got to start all over again. But these verses say it's God at work in you. It's God at work in you. Let's think about what that means. Think about who this God is that's at work in you. Think about how much experience He has in working with people like you and me. Think of how many people He's worked in and been successful. Think about what He knows. He's the one that's at work in you. He knows your every need. He not only knows what you need today, He knows what you're going to need tomorrow, He knows what you're going to need the next day. My wife and I were talking this morning in our, in our, in our prayer time about something God showed her a week ago and how what, He showed it to her a week ago because of something she's going to need. And very often God shows us something and says, well, that's nice, and we don't realize, wait a minute, God's showing me something. God. Remember Him? 
God, who knows your future, knows what's going to be happening down the road, knows what traps the devil's going to lay for you next week, that God is at work in you, trying to show you and prepare you to get you through. And the devil wants you to feel alone. The devil wants you to feel like you're never going to make it, ever, you're just a victim to whatever happens. But it's God at work in you. Both to will. Say, well, I'm kind of disobedient. He's at work in you to change your will. This is great news, guys. <laughs> Am I the only one excited about this? God is at work in you both on your will and to do His good pleasure. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't want to do His good pleasure, He can't do much for you. But you wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night with the Red Sox in a World Series if you didn't want to do His will and do His good pleasure. Well, let's go back to verse 12, though, because there's something a little disturbing in there. Because it says that you work out your own salvation. With that used to bother me when I saw that. So wait a minute, I, don't, I thought we weren't saved by our works. It doesn't say that you obtain your salvation by your works. This is written to Christians. It doesn't say you obtain your salvation by your works. The Bible is very clear that we receive our salvation by faith and what Christ did to pay for it for us. But once you've received it, that's just the beginning. Remember the first verse we looked at? For God is, God, God is, 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 is perfecting or is working that out in you to the end. So there's a part of our salvation that has to be worked out into our outer life, into our everyday life. And we're going to learn today how that process is, how God works this out. How God works this out. How God gardens our lives so that they bear fruit. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, if you're not interested in this, we can just go, go home and watch the Red Sox, but that'll all pass. This is eternal. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, that's in receiving the great gospel, through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, so these are people that are saved, just like you and me. Having been born again, not of a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed. Through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. So our salvation came through a seed that was sown into our heart. And it's an incorruptible seed that... It, which is the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Chap, go to the next verse, which is chapter 2, or 24. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away. Next verse. But the Word of God endures forever. Now this is the Word by which the Gospel was preached to you. So you and I were saved because someone planted the Word of God in your heart. Whether it was here at the end of a service, whether it was on a radio program, television program, somewhere, someone 
sowed the Word of God into you and it took root in you. You believed it. You received it. And that Word of God in you then began to produce the life of God in you. All right, let's go to the next verse. Therefore, because this is what's been done in you, lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babies desire the pure, that means the unadulterated, it's, it's just milk, there's nothing else mixed in with it, of the Word that you may grow thereby. So we grow, once we've received this salvation, we grow through receiving that same Word. The Word that brought salvation into our soul and into our spirit is now the same means by which we grow. By which we grow. Let's go to Mark chapter 4, and now we'll look at what Jesus teaches about this. What's all that got to do with a garden? Well, we're going to find out. Mark chapter 4. Now, some of this we've taught before, but I need to be reminded of this, and you can just listen in. Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read down through the story, and then we'll go back through it. Verse 13. Excuse me, verse 1. And he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things, listen to this, by parables. A parable is just a story, a story that they could relate to. Usually it was about either farming or it was about fishing, something that they had an experience with. And he just tells them this nice, cute story that has kind of a nice lesson to it. And he said to them in his teaching, verse 3, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. That's a garden. And it happened that as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground, and yielded a crop that sprang up, and increased in produce, some thirty-six, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's apparently some connection between hearing and the sowing of seed. Now look at this. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. So he gives this great teaching, this wonderful story then everybody just kind of goes home, and some of the rest of them kind of hung around along with his disciples, and they waited around until the crowd had gone away, and they're just kind of, it doesn't say whether they're eating, just sitting around chewing the fat together, whatever they're doing, and, and they begin to ask him, what does that parable mean? Now, have you ever wondered why Jesus taught in parables? If we looked at Matthew's version, he makes it a little clearer, because he explains to them, God, and this tells you some insight into the Bible, you ever wonder why the Bible just doesn't explain everything straight out? I mean, why do you have to dig in it? Why do you have to have to match certain things together and get a concordance? Why do different people disagree on what something's saying? Why, why, why God, if you want to get us something across, just make it clear. Well, 
I'm, I learned something a long ago. Whenever I don't understand why God does something, I've decided He's always right. Three of you thought that was a good idea. He's, this will save you a lot of... God's always right. So if I don't understand something, it's because I don't understand something, not because He's wrong. And that, that changed my life. A lot of the things that I teach are because I didn't understand them at the first, so I don't just dismiss it, I just ask Him to explain it to me. Give me understanding of it. It doesn't always come right away. And sometimes i got to dig into it. See, God doesn't just hand us things on a golden platter or a silver platter. Jesus put it this way, don't put your pearls before swine. He wasn't insulting us. What He's saying is, don't give the deep riches to people that don't care about it. So the fact that they're deep in there and you've got to dig for them, only those who really want it will spend the time and energy and the faith to go digging for it, and they will be rewarded. So he's teaching these life-changing principles, these eternal principles, and the majority of them just go home and say, wow, Jesus tells nice stories, kind of like what happens in here in church. Wow, that was a good message. I have no intention of applying it, I'm not even sure what he said, but I enjoyed the time together. And we go home and just go about our lives doing, you know, who won? Just when we go about our, the important stuff. But I went to church. And that's good. You should come to church. You're better off coming to church because something might get in. If you're not looking, it might slip in there because God is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. <laughs> God is at work in you. So why do you teach Him in parables? Because he only would explain the parables to those who hung around and asked what it meant. So there are many things we read in the Bible that we either think we understand or we don't understand. We just go on because we're content to not understand it. But if you stop and say, Lord, what does that mean? What does that mean for me? Especially if you're planning to apply it in your life, he will give you the understanding of it. He will give you the understanding of it. All right. So he says this, and this is important to understand. They were only, verse 11. He said to, to them, to them, those that stood around and asked him, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. Now if you read that quickly, oh, this is another side lesson. If you read that at its face value and quickly, you can form the opinion that God picks certain favorites to give His special insights to. But to those turkeys out there, ah, God doesn't care about those. But He's chosen this special few that come on Wednesday night when the Red Sox are in a World Series game. He's chosen a special few to receive His secrets. That's not what He's saying. See, in order... you. You've got to take a verse, the verses like that and, and, and read them in the context of God's character as displayed through the whole Bible. First of all, God's good. Secondly, God says about Himself, He's not a respecter of persons. So God doesn't have favorites. He doesn't choose some people over another to give a special revelation to. He explains, To you it's been granted to show the mysteries of the kingdom, but to those outside... All things come in parables. So what Jesus is not choosing who can come inside. Oh, this is good. I've never taught this before. 
Jesus is not saying, oh, you guys, you can't come in. You're not chosen. You've got to stay out there. But you, 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 you. I better choose you. You, 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 you. You can come inside. No, it's whoever chose to come closer, he reveals more to them. He doesn't choose who comes closer, but whoever chooses him and this is true today. The, you can have as much of the Lord as you want. You can get as close to Him as you want. Because as close as you want to get to Him, that's how close He'll get to you. He's not picking and choosing favorites. So those who chose to come on the inside, He's revealing the meaning of these parables. Verse 12. So that seeing they, talking those on the outside, seeing they may see but not understand, perceive. Hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins should be forgiven them. Verse 13. Now, if, you, if we look to this in Matthew's account, he's quoting out of Isaiah, and basically what he goes on to say, because they chosen to dull their ears. People... Of course, not us. People hear what they want to hear. Children do that. It's called selective hearing. It's clean your room, time to go to bed, in one ear and out the other. They keep going. Dessert time, oh, okay. <laughs> Suddenly their hearing is improved because they're hearing something they want to hear. Now, why do we think we grow out of that when we get older? Why do we think we grow out of that? You hear, and I hear, only what I want to hear. The other day I was asking, well, why, why am I having trouble hearing certain things in this area? And his answer was clear, because you don't want to. Well, then why am I asking? Because if I ask, I think I put the responsibility on God. Well, Lord, if I understand this, then I'll do it. God will answer you right away. But if I don't hear, it's usually because I don't really want to hear. Because if I really hear, then I got to do what he said or disobey. I got, now the choice is in back. See, we're always trying to put it back in God's lap, and you'll never win at that. When we try to put it back in God's lap, all we've done is it's taken out of ours. God's not going to pick up what's our responsibility. That's another teaching for another day. We better go on. He said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you... Look at this. This is why I wanted to use this one. How then will you understand all the parables? Jesus is saying this. If you can't understand what this parable is about, you won't understand anything else I've taught. So this parable is paramount. This is critical that we have an understanding of this because this is how God operates. This is how God works with us. This is how God is at work in us to will and to do His good pleasure. This is how God is working in us until the day of Christ to complete His work. This is how God gardens us. It's in this parable. And if we can't if we don't understand this, we won't understand how God operates with us, so we will not be able to cooperate with us. But if we do understand it, then at least we have the chance of cooperating if we just choose to do so. Okay. So, so let's go on down. Verse 14. 
He's going to go through and explain this story. The sower sows the word. And these are those by the wayside when the word is sown. So the, the seed that is sown in this parable is the word of God. Remember we just read, we were saved by the word of God being sown into our heart. We grow by the milk of the Word. The Word of God is what we're saved by when it gets in our heart. And the Word of God in our heart, coming into our heart, being watered into our heart, being tended in our heart, is how we grow. How God grows in our life and changes us from the inside out. So these are ones, by the way, So the, the, now notice in this parable, in each case it's the same seed. Now, there's something interesting about a seed. I did a series about a year ago on the principle of the seed. The amazing thing about a seed is that seed contains everything in it that's needed to reproduce that plant and the fruit that will, seeds that will reproduce and multiply in others. So one kernel of corn contains in it everything that's necessary to grow a stock of corn that will produce other ears of corn that will produce multitudes of other kernels which can grow other stalks and multiply and multiply and multiply. So the seed that he's talking about here contains within it everything that's needed to produce what God intends to produce in your life. Everything that God intends to produce in your life. Isaiah 55, let's turn there quickly, we'll come back to Mark 4. As the rain, so I'm at the word here, God's God says, just as the rain comes down, comes down in the snow from heaven, as not, does not return there, but, the, but waters the earth, and it brings forth bud, and that it give, made seed, get, may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, verse 11, So, in the same way, my word that goes forth from my mouth shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So the word of God, every time you're exposed to the word of God, whether it's in church and it's being being spoken from a pulpit, or you're listening to some teaching on a podcast or a CD somewhere, or you're out and somebody's sharing the word, or you're reading the word. Anytime the Word comes, is being presented to you. <clears throat> that Word has all of God's ability in it to produce in you what that Word says about you. God is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. For I am convinced that God will complete in you. God will complete in you. How does God do this in us? By the Word sown in our heart. That is God's ability to produce deliverance and change and freedom in your life. God has a master plan for what He wants your life to be like. And it is the image of Christ. First time I read that, it boggled my mind. You you think I can get to be like Christ in my own strength? No. But if Christ is in me, and I learn to flow with Him and, and laugh, water that and allow that to grow in me, I can, can happen. Okay, let's go back to Mark chapter 4. So it's the, the seed is the same. But we're going to see the fruit varies 
In one case, it doesn't even grow. In another case, it grows and doesn't produce any fruit. In the third case, it produces fruit, but the fruit's diseased. It doesn't, it doesn't produce much. And only in the last case does it produce a good crop of fruit. So this, it's not because the seed is better in one case than another. It's the same seed. That seed will always produce what it's intended to do. This word sown in our hearts will always produce what God intends it to produce. Because it's God at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. Because God will complete that which He began, that work, good work that He began in you. And how does He do it? Because it's His word He sows into your heart. But here's the difference. We're going to look, first of all, let's look at the first one. In the first one, it never even takes root. Go back to uh, Mark, wherever we just left off. That's it. These are those, which is the seed, but it's on the wayside. The wayside's the side of the road. It's hard packed. It's either stones or rocks or cement, or it may be the dirt is so hard that nothing can grow into it. These are the ones that the way, these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, look at this. Because this is not, there, there are three parties involved in this gardening process. There's the sower, that's God. He may use somebody in this pulpit to sow it to you. He may use a podcast. He may use your Bible. He may use any means of sowing the Word into you. So God's one party. You're the soil. Your heart is the soil in which God knows He's got to get that suit in order to produce a harvest in you, in order to produce fruit in your life, love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit. The Word has got to get sown into the garden of your heart. But there's a third party. And that's Satan. Who, Satan understands this process better than we do. Satan knows if that word gets sown in your heart and it gets watered and tended, it will, he cannot stop it. So he's got to stop the word, first of all, from even getting in there. So notice how he does it. When they hear, Satan comes next week, next month, eventually, because he's kind of lazy, and he comes around, you know. No, he comes immediately to steal to take away the word that's sown in their hearts. That's happening right now. God's trying to take a word that will answer your prayers, answer an issue in your life, answer something that you don't even know is going to come. And right now, the devil's trying to distract you. I wonder what the score of the game is. The devil's trying to distract you by looking at the, you know, looking at the lights. The devil's trying to distract you so you don't hear in your heart what God's trying to say. I'm just, any person we put up here is just a person, a man, a woman, but it's, we want to hear what God's saying to us. Whenever I come to church, anywhere, even when I'm preaching, God, what are you saying to me? And I've had some of the most life-changing words spoken to me by people I either don't like, don't understand, but God didn't cut them out because I didn't like them or didn't think I was going to get anything from them because I know God can speak through a donkey. He's spoken through me, so I know He can. He spoke in the Old Testament through a donkey. Ah, we've got to move on. Satan comes immediately to steal. So whenever you're coming to church, understand what's happening. This is a supernatural occurrence that's taking God, the God of all creation, wants to change your life, give you the answers to what you need. And He's here trying to plant it in your heart. And the devil knows that, so he's going to try to distract you so you don't hear. It doesn't even get in. 
to take away the word that was sown in their hearts. Verse 16. Likewise are the ones, the words that the seed that's sown on stony ground. And when they hear the word, they immediately receive with gladness. Praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, that's great. Oh, wow. Wasn't that great? And they go out and there's a flat tire. Oh, I thought God loved me. How come if I, how come if God's working in my life, these bad things are happening to me? I'll tell you why. They endure for a time. But when tribulation, that means trouble, or persecution arises, look at this, because the devil hates you. Trouble comes to you. Persecution arises because the devil doesn't like you. No, he doesn't care about you. For the word's sake. Satan knows that if that word gets rooted in your heart, that that word is going to defeat him. And going to defeat the strongholds, going to defeat the things that your genetic things, going to defeat your family's history, going to defeat whatever strongholds, whatever he's tried to work in your life to hold you down and to keep you bound up. Satan knows that if that word gets in your heart, and it's allowed to grow in there, He can't stop you from being free. So He's got to come after the Word. If He can't stop it from being sown in there, He's going to try to stop it from growing by throwing trouble at you. Because the trouble distracts us. The trouble discourages us. Or That's His weapon. The trouble is designed to get you to quit. I guess this doesn't work. I guess this doesn't work. So I quit. That's what He wants you to do. Because then He can pull the Word out of your heart. And now He's just dealing with you as a human being. And immediately, they stumble. Immediately, they stumble. Is that what's next? No. Verse 18. Now these are those that are sown on the, among the thorns. This is the most interesting one. Because this is where most of us are. Among the thorns. These are the ones, they hear the Word. The Word gets sown in their heart. It takes root in their heart. And the roots go down. See, in the, in the case before that, go back to verse 18. These are the ones where the, the, the soil is thin. And so what happens is, the roots don't go down, they go out. You ever see sod? Trucks that bring sod in and, you know, today you have no grass and they roll the sod out and you've got this beautiful green grass. What they did is they plant the grass and in ideal conditions they grow it, but it's only that thick or about like that. The, gr- the, the roots of grass don't go very deep. They go down, they go out, which is why in the a- August, if you don't water it, it browns out because it's not getting water. But the oak trees... They don't turn brown in a drought because they have roots that go down deep into the ground where the water is, no matter whether it rains or not. And that root, when a plant is planted, a, 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 a larger plant, the very first thing, and this is, this is recollection of what my mother told me, so it's been a while, and I didn't listen, is the, the first thing it does is it sends a taproot down. That taproot does two things. It's rooting down to tap into some water. 
but it's also the thing that holds the plant so that when the wind blows or the winds come, it doesn't uproot the plant. Plants like grass, things that, are, that, 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 are, that, are, that are, don't go deep, they can be uprooted very easily. So when the Word doesn't get down and have time to get down into our heart, it can be uprooted by any kind of trouble. But when you've been around long enough, when you've put the Word in your heart, when you've watered the Word, when you've acted on the Word, that Word begins to go down deep in your heart so that now when trouble comes along, you don't understand. I don't know why it's not working. I don't know why this is happening. And all of a sudden, literally all hell breaks loose. You're still not moved because somewhere down in there, that root's holding you in place because somewhere down in there, you know God's good. Somewhere down in there, you know God loves you. Somewhere down in there, you know, there's an end coming to this. And I may not understand it. I may not see it coming. I may not even think I can hold on anymore. But the Word holds on to you. The Word holds on to you. I can't tell you the times I've been tempted to quit. I'm not talking about this job. That's happened too. I've just been... Te- I, this, nothing's working. I'm done. You think I just float on water, don't you? I don't know. I've got to go through what you do. But I will not quit. Not just because I'm stubborn. I won't quit because there's, there's truth down inside of me I can't deny. I may lose touch with it. I may get discouraged. Paul talks about... Uh, boy, I wish we had time to go over there. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, I'm, I am, I'm pressured about on every side. But I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed. I, I love that. Paul, Paul was perplexed. I don't know why this is happening. I don't understand. But I'm not in despair. I've been beaten. Then he goes through all the stuff he's gone through. But he wouldn't quit. He finished his course. Why? Because that word was down in him at a level that held him in place. And when he didn't understand, when he was discouraged, I'm sure when he was in prison and everybody seemed to have left him and he was all alone in that damp, dark prison except for the little four-legged creatures crawling around, he still couldn't give up because the word had a hold of him. The word had a hold of him. There's a story, Pastor Sam used to tell this, so I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's a good story. <laughs> I think it is, I think I've looked it up, that years ago they would have these big dirigibles that would, when they didn't have planes that flew across the ocean, and, and when they would come in, they were filled with helium and other things, and, uh, and, and, and when they would come in, they would drop ropes, and they had men that would hold on to it and pull the thing down until they could dock it. And there was one time one of these was being docked, and just as it came to be docked, there was an updraft or something, and it started going up, and you had men holding on to the ropes, and, and, and many of them didn't let go. They tried to hold on, and now they're so far off the ground that if they drop, they're going to die. And one by one, they ran out of strength, and they gave up. They ran out of their strength and they gave up and let go and died. And they finally got it under control and got it down and there was one guy still holding on. Through I don't remember how long it was. Everybody else let go, fell down and died or let go right to begin with. And when they got him down, got to the ground, they came over and said, how is it that you could hold on when nobody else held on? He said, well, I was holding on for a while and I realized I'm running out of strength. Then I realized if I tie the rope around me, the rope will hold on to me. 
I don't have to hold on to the rope. Ah. The Word of God, if you'll get it in you, and you'll allow it to get in there deep enough, it will hold on to you instead of you holding on to it. This is the battle that goes on. This is the biggest thing I want you to see. Every time you're exposed to the Word of God, you're not just reading your Bible. You're not just fulfilling some... You're not just sitting in church. There is a supernatural event taking place. The God of all creation, who knows everything you're going to need, who can do anything that you need, that God is trying to sow into your heart that which you're going to need, the ability to do, to change you, to deliver you, to set you free. God's trying to do that, and just and the devil's trying to stop that from happening. And he's very clever. He knows your distractions and your weaknesses. We'll talk a little bit about this on Sunday. All right, verse 19. And the, now this is the one now that's been sown, and, and, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in. Oh, notice they're not already in there. The Word gets planted. It got deep enough so the trouble didn't get it out of there. Now what the devil wants to do is he'll throw cares at you. He'll, he'll stir up the cares of your life. He'll get you to focus on the, your bills, your kids, your health. He'll get you to focus on the basic cares of your life and, 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 or the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches is that putting your trust, seeking after riches, the things of this world, for your security. And the third thing is the desire for other things. All three of those things Go after your heart. We don't have time tonight to go back to Matthew 6. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6. We talk about seeking first the kingdom of God. And He tells you, because if you're going to seek the kingdom of God first, because you seek with your heart, then, then, then you cannot worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to... Because when you worry about something, when you worry about the cares of this life, you've given, you've given that a place in your heart that chokes the word. The word that says, my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The word that says, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake and I'll open the windows of heaven and pour on you a blessing again and again. The word that says, my God knows what you need before you ask. The word that says, God is my source. It chokes that word off with the cares of this life. So I turn my back on the God who wants to provide for me and take care and I embrace the cares of this world and I say, no God, I can do a better job of taking care of myself by worrying about it than I can by trusting you and allowing the God who created the universe to come into my life and provide and deliver for me and for my family. It's all about our heart and what we're allowing to be sown into our... Every time you're worrying about something, you're sowing into your heart seeds of doubt and unbelief. Sitting there watching some television program on the Hallmark Channel because it's about the only place where anything's safe to watch. And it's all the same story over and over again, just reinvented, but, but it's safe. And we're getting a real, you know, every commercial is about somebody sick or dying and some disease. And they're all the same. They get, you're dancing through the lilies, you know. 
And if you take this disease, if you take this, this will cure this in you. And by the way, if you have this, and it goes for all the legal stuff, you know, oh, why are we smiling and dancing, you know, and you could die from this, and you could die from that, and they'll probably make it look just so nice, you know, like, well, I've got to give you all the legal stuff of what could happen to you by taking that drug. And it gets in our heart. And the worst thing is to sit there watching what's called news. I won't, don't let me go, John, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there. And you've got two or three experts talking about things they really don't know what they're talking about while there are banners running underneath giving you other... All this stuff is coming at you and getting in your heart. And then we wonder why we worry. It's seed sown in you. I'm not saying don't know what's going on, but don't feed on it. Don't sow it into your heart and weed, water it and weed it. And it chokes the Word. The, the Word's in there, but it chokes it off because what, is, what, do, what do weeds do? Weeds, this is why I didn't like weeds. What? Let's let the weeds grow. I know, I can tell the difference between the begonia and the weeds. So what's the big deal? Because the, I, the weeds rob the begonias, the weeds rob the lilies, the weeds rob the flowers and the, and the tomatoes of the nutrition. They compete for the water and the nutrition that's in the soil, and the weeds don't produce any fruit. And this is what the cares of this world do. Anything that's designed to take that place in your heart that belongs to God will choke the Word. And what I want you to understand tonight, all of us, including me, is what this process is. This goes on in our life every day, and it determines how fruitful God can make your life. How free. God wants you free from all fear. God wants you free from all bondages. God wants you free because then you're an open blossom. There's a flavor, there's a fragrance coming to you out of you of love and of freedom and of the nature of God. When we're bound up by fear and, and discouragement, all these things, there's a smell coming from us. But it's not the fragrance of Christ. So God wants you, un- He wants you to blossom. He wants you, the fruit of the Spirit to come out of you so that people around you want to know, like they did with Smith Wigglesmith, who are you, man? His life just convicted people because of the holiness that was coming out of his being because God was bearing fruit out of that man's life. Well, God's no respecter of persons. But He weeded His... He, the only book He ever read was the Bible. I'm not saying it's wrong to read another book, but he was consecrated to just the things of God. He only sowed in his heart the Word of God. I'm not saying it's wrong to read something else. Just be conscious of what you're sowing into your heart and understand who's trying to steal God's Word sown into your heart. Chokes the Word and the Word becomes unfruitful. But these are those, the seeds, sown on good ground. So the difference in each case is not the seed, it's the condition of the soil. So what makes the difference in the crop that's produced, the fruit that's produced, is the condition of the soil, or in our case, the condition of our heart. These are ones sown on good ground. And they're there, they're those that hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some 30, some 60 and some a hundredfold. Now you can see why 
Jesus said, this is the most important of all my teachings. Because, oh, I never, I've never taught this before. So it's worth missing the word. Because everything else Jesus taught was by sowing the word into their hearts. So if they did not understand this process, if they did not understand that it's God sowing that word, that the word has the power to produce what God intended to produce, and if they didn't understand that Satan's the one that comes to steal it or just choke it, then they could never receive anything else that Jesus wanted to sow into their hearts. What do we take away from this? I've got four things. First of all, God is at work in you. And His love and His power to change your life are not limited. Just, you ought to meditate on that sometime. It's God that's at work in you. It's God. God. It's God. The next time you're looking at a problem in your life, say, yeah, but God's at work in me. But God, that's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's God who's at work in you facing that. It's God who's at work in you. Number two, God works through the Word He plants in our hearts. God works through the Word He plants in our hearts. Number three, we need to recognize that the trouble, temptations, and issues that come against us are Satan's device to steal that Word and what God wants to do in you through it. And number four, therefore, everything we need to see that everything we're facing, and this is so important, We need to see that everything you're dealing with right now, every problem you're dealing with, whether it's in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in your health, everything you're dealing with in your life right now that's, a, that's challenging you, has, is, you need to look at through spiritual eyes, not through natural eyes. I don't have time to go there. I better not even mention it because I'll, I'll go there and we don't have time. We need to look at through spiritual eyes. Well, I will go there. All of Israel was scared to death at one nine-foot-tall soldier, Goliath. All of Israel hid because they were afraid of this Goliath that came and threatened them. And for many of you tonight, there's a Goliath threatening you. Satan is using something to tell you you'll not make it, something to tell you you'll nobody, something, something to, to keep you in your place. And they all ran in fear. Forty days, twice a day, he threatened them. And he would come out and say, I defy the army of Saul. Because Israel saw themselves as the army of Saul. Teenage boy David shows up on the scene. David spends most of his life out in, the, out in the wilderness taking care of his father's sheep, out where there are no soldiers. And David's had to learn a relationship and develop a relationship with the true and living God that he has a covenant with as the child of Abraham. And David's learned to defend his sheep. He's defeated a lion, and he's defeated a bear with his own bare hands. Why? Because he couldn't do it in his own strength. He knew his God would protect him and help him. This young boy shows up at the same scene. He's looking at the same physical facts everybody else is looking at. He's looking at this nine or twelve foot giant with over a hundred pounds of armor on and a shield bear in front of him. He's hearing the same threats that the giant's given to the soldiers. He says, the giant still says, I defy the army of Saul. I'm going to chew you up and eat you up and throw, spit you out like garbage. Verse 
And David's answer is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What's that mean? David's not looking at the giant in natural terms, how big he is. David's looking at the giant in terms of he doesn't have a covenant with the living God, and we do. So David's answer to the giant is, who are you to defy the army that belongs to the living God? David saw the situation through the Word. David saw the situation through the spiritual eyes of a covenant that they had with God, and he was angry. How come you're sitting here letting these people with no covenant defy the army that's in covenant with the living God, who's promised that He will be our shield and our protector, who's promised that our battles are not ours, but they're His? Why are you afraid of this, this little guy who has no covering, no covenant with God? So he says, I'll go get him. And Saul says, well, you better wear my armor. He says, no, my, your armor, I've never tested your armor, but I've tested God's Word. I know God's Word works. Gets five stones, and he comes out, and Goliath gets insulted. Am I some dog that you would send this kid out after me? And David says, before we're done, I'm going to have your head. And David runs at his giant, not because he's full of bravado, because he sees the giant through spiritual terms, what's spiritually going on here, not through natural terms. We need to see things through spiritual terms. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. The lesson for tonight is to recognize that every time you read your Bible, Every time you listen to the Word of God, every time the Word of God is preached, God is sowing a seed of His eternal Word into your hearts that's intended to produce a harvest of freedom and of peace and of love. And Satan is scared that that's going to happen. So he will come at you to distract you, he will come at you with trouble, and he will come at you to distract your heart so that that Word doesn't take root, or if it takes root, It's choked off. The Bible says, and I'll end with this, to not be ignorant of Satan's devices. Romans, uh, Hebrews 10 said that, to, that we're not to be ignorant of the wiles, the deceits of the devil. The devil has no power over you if you're a Christian because you've been taken out of his dominion and put in the kingdom of beloved God. But he's trickery, he is wily, he is deceptive, and he knows how to con us. But the Word of God gives us the understanding so that he does not have to steal the Word out of your heart. Let's pray. Father, the Word's been sown tonight in all of our hearts, including mine. And now we water that Word with prayer. Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to take what's been sown in our heart and begin to bring back to our understanding tonight, tomorrow morning, whatever situations we may get in, bring back to our remembrance what we heard from you tonight, that you're at work in us, you're at work in us, to both do and to will your good pleasure. We want you working in us. We want you working through us. And Lord, help us to recognize with spiritual eyes this warfare that's going on for, where Satan tries to distract us, to deceive us, and to discourage us. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who's in us to overcome. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to be receiving the Lord's tithe.